to your seats. We'll sing number 103. He has made me glad. 103. After we sing this, Brother Kim leads in his devotional thoughts. I look into his feelings with thanksgiving in my heart. I look into his thoughts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. Nine hundred four is going to be our song of invitation. Nine zero four. In Hebrews chapter thirteen and verse five, Scripture says this: He himself has said, "I will never leave you, nor forsake you." Have you ever made an empty promise? Or has anyone ever made an empty promise to you? Something you really were depending on, then it was gone. Sometimes we make promises, and out of no fault of our own, I suppose, circumstances get in the way of fulfilling the promise. You say, look, I'll come by on Thursday and mow your grass. But you get sick. Or the mower breaks. You're injured in some way. Maybe, maybe it rains all day Thursday. You made a promise, had every intention of fulfilling it, but, you know, things happen. You couldn't fulfill it. Perhaps you were really depending on the fulfillment of a promise. You felt like it was locked tight. But someone forsook you in that promise. And now, not only has that, in some ways, destroyed your trust for them, but it can affect your trust for everybody else. Maybe the other people are as faithful as can be, but because you have been wronged this one time, it just ruins it for every other time. What you realize is that humans make mistakes, and honestly, unless the circumstances are perfect, they just, they can't really be trusted or relied upon. If that's your expectation of promises, I wonder when you read a text like this, how you really feel about the promises of God. The text begins, he himself has said. That's a profound statement. Because you and I both know that when God says something, things happen. God spoke the universe into existence. Psalm 33 and verse 6. Just said the words, and there it was. God, according to his own power and dominion, has placed us in a particular location and in a particular time. Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. And Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that through Jesus, he upholds all things according to his word. When God speaks, when he says something, we can depend on it. So what is it that he has said? He himself has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. If I believe in the word of Almighty God, then I can have the confidence that no matter what happens, 
no matter the trials and the uncertainties, that the Lord will always be with me. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, beginning at verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of the sword? As it is written, So I have trust in the Lord. I know that no matter what befalls me, no matter the circumstances of my life, that he is trustworthy. I know that even in my own experience of failure, even when I'm responsible for not fulfilling my promises, that God will always be faithful. And he's faithful as a result of my relationship with Jesus. The question is not God's faithfulness, it's mine. And I can have the assurance that no matter what befalls me, that the Lord will be there. This promise is unending. Except that I can trust that the Lord will do his thing. But what about me? I know that God will not forsake his relationship with me but I can be unfaithful to him. Unfaithfulness comes as a result of two positions. One has to do with my lack of fellowship with him. He is not going to be with me if I'm not in fellowship, if I've not obeyed the gospel. And secondly, I'm not going to benefit from his faithfulness if I've wandered away from him. So tonight, if you have not obeyed the gospel. You can enjoy that continuing fellowship with God in that obedient act. In the book of John chapter 8 and verse 24, Jesus said, If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's separation from God. But if I will believe in him, then I can have access. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Not only do I believe in him, but I confess that faith in him. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if we confess him, he is we confess with our mouths, Lord Jesus, and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that God raised him from the dead. I confess that belief in him. And just as those who were on the day of Pentecost, who had heard about the resurrected Christ, and were convicted in their hearts, cut in their hearts. They asked the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, they were told to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is to you and to your children and to those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. In verse 41, those who gladly received his word were baptized, and about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, who added them? Verse 41 or 47 tells us that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Belief, confession, repentance, and baptism. That puts me into fellowship with God and I can count that he will never forsake me. The other condition was in our relationship with him if we fall back into sin. We're not perfect. We already visited that idea. But we can be faithful to the Lord. And so in our imperfection, in our failures, 
if we will continue to walk in the light as he is in the light. The Bible says that we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, continues to cleanse us from all sins. But if that sin does creep in, verse 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today, you can have the confidence in the promises of God if you've obeyed the gospel, if you've been faithful in that obedience. But if you've not obeyed the gospel, today affords you an opportunity to respond to the Lord's invitation in that belief and confession to be baptized upon your repentance of sin, have your sins washed away. If you've been unfaithful to the Lord as his child, you've enjoyed his steadfastness and he's ready to be reconciled. If as a child of his, you've sinned, today gives you an opportunity to repent, to, to confess that sin, and he'll be faithful and just to forgive it. If there's anybody who needs to respond for any reason, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washing the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His praises? Are you washing the blood of the Lamb? Are you washing the blood of the everybody. We're so glad you're here. I was sitting there while Ken was doing his devotional thinking about last summer when we just had three or four of us in the building staring into a camera. Uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. A uh, uh, few announcements before we go to class. Uh, we need to remember in prayer David Yates, who's in the hospital in Oxford. Remember Lynn Floyd, who's doing rehab in Huntsville. Uh, Former member Vera Cole passed away this week. Visitation with her family will be Friday, 12.30 to 2. Funeral at 2 o'clock at Shackelford Funeral Home in Henderson, Tennessee. Graveside service will follow at 4.30 at the Boonville Cemetery. Everyone is encouraged to bring potluck dishes this Sunday for our first visitation team luncheon in a long time. This will be a great time of fellowship as we plan our visitation for the coming year. Also, if your child needs to ride the bus to Maywood Camp week eight, either there or back home, you need to sign the sheet in the foyer. And this last announcement, everybody make sure they listen to this one and pa pass it along to those that are not here. Beginning next Wednesday night, uh, we will do our announcements and devotional time at the end of our service. So we will go to class first next week from 7 to 7.45. Is that correct? And then at 7.45, we will all come together in here for our devotional time. So bring your kids straight to class. 
teachers expect them next Wednesday night at seven o'clock. And parents, you will not have to go get your children. The teachers will walk them in here at 7.45. Did I say all that right, Stephen? All right. Uh, and at this time, teachers, you, you're dismissed to go to your, get your classroom ready and Jeremy will lead us in another song while you go get your classes prepared. We'll sing number 432. We'll sing the first and last verse of How Shall the Young Secure Their Hearts. Psalms 119, where this song is derived from. How can we stay pure, living according to your word? Let's sing together 432. We'll do the first and last. How shall It is so good to be with you tonight, and thank you for being a part of our Bible class. Uh, if you're looking at the screen, and if you've kept up with it, this is Lesson 10 of our study of personal evangelism. And we are moving now, now down to the conclusion of this uh, study, but I hope the study doesn't stop. I hope you don't uh, just forget about the things we have considered. In fact, that's what I hope we do in the next tonight and next Wednesday night is begin to put into, to give a face to all the things we've discussed in a very practical way for your own life. So as we think about it, I want us to review just for a minute. I want us to review some thought processes. We had talked about, of course, I'm not going to back up and go through everything by way of review, but simply put, personal evangelism is me as a child of God doing something with God's word in a way that it influences someone else, that someone else is in contact with the saving gospel. And we had said that a, a effective Bible study, or a Bible study, sorry, effective um, personal evangelism, doing it effectively. As long as we let God be in control and we let God guide us, obviously it's going to be effective, but to do it the very best way that I, as an individual child of God, could possibly do it. We've been discussing in detail that there are three essentials that go into play, that come into play to make that happen. And the very first one, just a, a brief review, we've studied every bit of this. And if you want a copy of it on paper, I'll be more than glad to give it to you. But first of all, it involves understanding. We spent two Wednesday nights, I think. There are some things we have to understand if we're going to be effective as those who share the gospel with someone else. First, we have to understand the world is lost. We have to understand that the lost, if someone's lost, that means lost for eternity. 
in a devil's hell, without God, in a place of punishment and torment. And third, we have to understand that those who don't obey the gospel, they're going to be lost. And now we know what that means. Fourth, those who fall away. Understand that Christians who fall away from God, from Christ, from the church, from the truth, they're going to be lost in a devil's hell, without God, for all eternity, uh, in a place of punishment and torment. And then fifth, we have to understand time is not on our side. We, in doing our part, have to start immediately because time is, is waning down very quickly. But then the second thing, the second essential out of three, is that uh, not understanding, but it involves knowledge. There are things we have to know. And I had said, I started with five, but I compressed that into four Four components of this knowledge, four things, four components, four uh, uh, perspectives of what I have to know to be an effective sharer of the gospel. And I list these, but that does not mean that it's just something that, oh yeah, I have to keep in mind. This is a part of the learning process. I must know the truth. I must know the world in which I live. I must know Satan and how he works. And I must know myself. And that is what we discussed last week. But then, I want us to now, that takes us to the next part. That takes us to the third component. Involves understanding, it involves knowledge, but the third component of effective personal evangelism is effort. Effort. James chapter 1 and verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, because that's just, you're deceiving your own self when you do that. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in Matthew 7, uh, Whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, uh, I will tell you who he's like. He is like a man who builds his house on rock. So we understand that that doing uh, effort is involved. Okay, we know that scripture, but now I told you we would come down to the nitty gritty of the question. Okay, Mr. Preacher, sir, I understand all of that. But now, what do, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? If all of this is true, and it is, what do I do? So let's go from there. Let's think about that. I must be involved actively. Now, yes, we've covered all of that in principle. But I want to make sure that when you leave here, you understand there is a personal investment in this. There is a personal responsibility involved in this thing called personal evangelism. Well, first of all, in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, we know what verse 8 and 9 says concerning the grace of God. But in that same breath, in that same thought process, Paul said, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God... Pre uh, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Wait, did you hear that? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, live in them. When you see the word walk in the New Testament, that's a reference I almost said metaphorically, I guess you could say it that way, but it's really much more serious than that. Walk is talking about how we live our lives spiritually, that we should walk in those good works. Effort. Acts 8 in verse 4. We've, how many times have we covered that one? You know it by heart. Those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the gospel. Right? Isn't that what that says? In uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and I'm running through these. We're going to read. In fact, go ahead and turn to John 6, 44 and 45. But we're just kind of catching ourselves up here. We've already covered these in principle. In Matthew 28, you know what Jesus said? All authority is given unto me, heaven and in earth. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things. Now, go into all the world and make disciples. We've covered that meaning of that word. The idea that I teach someone and I share 
with someone what's found in the Bible, what it means to truly be a disciple of Christ. And I do that in a way that makes them want to do that. I'm telling you folks, the gospel is God's power to save. And that's not just because the Holy Spirit had Paul write it down in Romans 1 and verse 16. That's because that's exactly how it is. It's that powerful. And when you present it to a willing heart... They're going to say, like the Ethiopian did in Acts 8, Hey, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Why can't we do this now? There's water right there. If you want a great place to start with somebody and study with somebody, uh, I'm jumping a little bit ahead of myself. I love to use Acts 8. Because uh, we were talking, I forgot now who I was talking to, was talking about someone who uh, did a lot of Bible study and said, I never, when I, it, when I found out how to close the sale, that's when it, sometimes it's hard to, to make that convincing argument. The Bible can make that convincing argument because when you look at somebody and say, have you ever wondered why that fella sitting in that chariot said, whoa, stop. Right there's water, why can't we do it now? Where in the world he gets an idea? Yeah, yeah. where did he get that longing for that understanding from what Philip had been talking to him, telling him about. But again, I'm a little ahead of myself. All of those verses involve effort, doing something. And that's where we're headed in just a moment. Now in John chapter 4, John 4, John 6, 44 and 45, somebody read that. No one can come to me unless the Father has sent me draws him. I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has learned, who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Thank you. I included that scripture here because I must be involved actively as a Christian in some way. And, and that's where, uh, I don't know if we'll have enough time tonight to get, but within the next two lessons, that's what I want us to, to really get into but I want you to understand before we open that door is that Christianity is taught. That's God's plan. It's taught. Now, could God have done it a different way? He could have. He could have done everything a different way, but he chose not to. He chose to give man free will. He chose to give man a choice. And he chose the vehicle for salvation to be the blood of his son. And that, or that's the avenue, and that gets to the hearts of men and women through teaching. It's taught truth. Now, somebody has to do the teaching. And that, that's where the effort comes in. Yes, ma'am. That's right. Uh, those three things are, are really, now they involve so very, so much power, but they're very easy to remember. She said, uh, no, study the word. I'll, I'll try to get the order right. Study the word, know the word, share the word. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. Okay, so... I have to, what I say first, I must be involved actively. Now let's think about this. Turn with me to Matthew 25. We won't read all of that, but we will read a portion of it. Now you are, if you are a, a Bible student of any regularity, you have been in Matthew 25, and you have studied the parable of the talents. But I really want us to dig a little deeper here. Maybe not necessarily digging deeper into the truth, but into our own understanding of it. Another thing that's involved in this effort is I need to weigh my talents and find my place in the process. Folks, teaching others, the, uh, teaching the lost the truth is a process. It's a process. And I have a place. You have a place in that process. I just have to find my place in the process. Uh, and, and that's something to think about. Um, okay. You know, I want to say this. 
I'm, I'm not trying to, to, to be silly here, but I want to share this without taking up too much time, is that all of us... Well, let me pause and let's read this first. In Matthew 25, we know the story or we know the account. If you look at verse 14, the kingdom of heaven is like a man. You know, I heard someone say one time, and it meant a lot, and this will help you, I think, as you study verses. When you read passages and Jesus begins by saying the kingdom of heaven is like, being a child of God in the church is like this. Learn from it. Being in the kingdom, living and serving is comparable to this. Now, what can you learn from it? A man traveling into a far country who called his servants and delivered his goods, five talents, two talents, and one talent. What did the five-talent man do? He used them. What did the two-talent man do? He used them. What did the one-talent guy do? He hid it. He dug, it, dug a hole and hid it. Why did he do that? Because he was... He was afraid. Okay, now, let's think just for a moment. I want you to look at verse... Twenty-four, or twenty-three. This is to the man with two, but he said the same thing to the man with five. He said, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look. There you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said, You wicked and lazy servants, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Take therefore the talent from him and give it to him who has ten. Now, especially look at 29 and 30. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even that he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, now, I need to weigh my talents and find my place in the process. It's very important we understand something here. Maybe I shouldn't have used the word talents. When we see talents, in fact, I, I did. I fell into the very uh, misconception that I'm about to tell you not to do. Because I used the term talents. But here, this scripture, the English word talent isn't referring to my talents, a physical talent, or a spiritual talent, or mental talent, my ability to do something. Now, can I make that application with principle? Of course I can. But the word talent meant an amount of money. The illustration, the physical part of that, this fellow had money. And he gave portions of that money to servants to go and use that in business and make more money. That was the lesson, uh, the physical part, the human part, the earthly part. Now, the lesson for that was, God has given me. And sometimes we narrow that field too much and think talents. If you're a song leader, you better lead singing. Now, is that wrong in principle? Of course not course not. But I don't think it's that narrow either. God gives us abilities. Of course he does. And we should use those abilities in his kingdom, in his service. Absolutely. But God also gives us other things. Have you ever considered that one of the applications of Matthew 25 is our opportunities? God places opportunities in front of us. And sometimes we don't take advantage of those. We don't initiate a conversation about Christ because we are afraid. Because we're afraid. We're afraid of what the response will be. We're afraid of, of the backlash. Or we're afraid that the reaction will not be, I don't know, it doesn't matter, but we're afraid. Same concept. He was afraid to put into practice that which he was given to put into practice, he was afraid of failure. God gives us opportunities. He gives us abilities. He, gives, he puts things in our paths. And he expects to, us to use those to his glory. So I have to weigh mine. I have to figure out, okay, what is it that God has placed in my care? 
Is it a talent? Is it an ability? Okay, great. But if not, what else am I going to do? What do I need to do? I need to weigh that and find my place. Now, turn to Mark chapter 14, 3 through 9. Mark 14, 3 through 9. And someone, or when you get that, would someone please be so kind as to read it? Mark 14, 3 through 9. This is just my humble opinion. This is one of those passages that you could easily read and, and scratch your head wondering, why was it included? I know it was included on purpose for a reason. And you look at it, and then you look at it from a different perspective, and you realize there are so many principles of truth that we could pull out and study and go in so many directions. But the one I want you to see, and you may be thinking, why in the world? Did you put that passage with this point? I must weigh my talents and find my place in the process. This woman, what she did, we're not going to discuss those ramifications, but it's that one phrase that Jesus said, what? She has done what she could. End of story. Underline that in your Bible. She has done what she could. Now, did you notice in this gets, boy, I'm going to tell you, this really gets to me when I think about this. Because I understood back a couple of lessons ago what I knew when I started this whole thing. That when we get down to the nitty gritty here, Hodgson, you're stepping on your own toes. You're talking to yourself. Absolutely. Have I buried my talent before my opportunities because of fear? I have. And I pray for forgiveness for that. She's done what she could. She recognized an opportunity and a need, a need that she could feel, and only she could feel it. And she did what she could. But I want you to notice there were those in her presence, those who'd been with Jesus, those who had listened to his teachings, those who uh, uh, knew at least the true part of it. And what they do, they criticized her. Because they didn't get it. There are going to be times when you recognize and you try to do something in the service of God, in the service of teaching someone the gospel, that there are going to be folks who mean well and who are good folks, Christians, your brothers and sisters, who are going to look at you and think, Why are you doing that? That's not going to do any good. They're not going to listen. That's a waste of time. I'm sorry if I'm sounding sassy. I don't mean to. But we better be careful. Been guilty of that. Been guilty of that. In fact, I wrote this down because I didn't want to forget it. Um, I think about Brother Barber. And I cannot, I didn't catch Lisa in time to, uh, I cannot think of his name. From Sevierville, Tennessee. Uh, he is still worshiping. Somebody goes by and peace night. He, he's pushing a hundred and I don't he probably still does it but every bill that he sends every piece of correspondence whether it's to the doctor or to the power company or who, wherever he puts a track in that envelope now your first thought would be that's a waste of money because ain't nobody gonna read that anyway excuse my grammar but some things you just have to say the way it sounds nobody's gonna listen to that but I learned just a little bit about, I've, I'm one of those people, uh, 
that I, ha I cannot put a check in an envelope by itself. I just can't, I can't do that. I'm weird like that. So I have to take a piece of paper and fold it up. And then the person who's getting that thinks, why do they do that? That just waste, takes up so much time. But I got into a habit years ago, and I'm not saying, you know, uh, I, I just have to write, I just write something on there. It's always curious. And in my mind, I know nobody's going to read that. That young lady who opens that envelope and wherever that is is going to say, oh, you know. I just write, may God bless you with a great day filled with peace and smiles or something like that. Just write it on there and put it in there. I've just done that just because that's, I don't know why. I don't know why I started, but it's what I do. And the strangest thing happened to me. Uh, about a year ago, I walked into a doctor's office, a doctor that I, uh, I go to uh, semi-regularly, and, and went in and uh, did whatever it was I was there for. And as I went out, I, I started out. She said, well, come here. Uh, I want to show you something. And I leaned over. She said, lean over here. And posted on her desk above her computer was that goofy note I wrote the last time I sent a payment in and said, I was not having a good week when I opened that envelope and I stuck that up there because that really made my day. I'm not even sure I can tell you her name because I don't remember. But see, here's the thing. Sometimes we think ourselves out of doing what things because we're thinking about the response instead of the responsibility. My job is not to worry about the response of how people are going to react when they see whatever it is that I've done. My job is to understand I have a responsibility and God will take care of the response. And you understand if you read Matthew 13 that four times the seed went out and only one of those four times so, one out of four, those are horrible odds. Let's quit. Uh, I don't think so. So, again, and so I think about that little example. I just, I do what I can do. I do what I can do. And when I do what I can do, God will take that and do great things with it. But I also, I want us to consider some examples of personal evangelism from the New Testament. And, and these will get to us pretty strongly, I think. Turn, if you will, let's start with John 1. There's two separate passages that I want us to read there first. John 1, somebody go ahead and read, if you would, verses 35 through 42 first. Don't go any farther than 42, please. Go ahead, Rick. class and digging deeper into the maybe some the intricacies of, of, of uh, methods and teaching people there's something to be said here about timing but look at what he did Peter or Andrew he first thing he did when he came into contact with Christ when he recognized, and you do understand that that wasn't an instantaneous thing that Andrew had been a student of the prophets. Well, how do you know that? It doesn't say that. Yes, it does, because Andrew would have had no clue why John the Baptist was doing what he was doing and why he was, what he was saying meant anything had he not followed the prophets. And then he listened to John the Baptist so that when John said, 
There's the Lamb of there's the Lamb of God. And the first thing he did is he went and got Peter. Okay, now let's keep reading. Now someone read verse 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open. Two different occasions. The second one, Nathaniel, was a. Uh, did I say that right? Nathaniel was a little less. Uh, he was a little skeptical at first, wasn't he? And what did Philip say to him? Okay, I won't ask you twice. Wait, what? Come and see, folks. Listen. I don't mean this. In fact, why don't you, you just understand I'm talking to myself. And you take it or leave it for what it's worth. But I fear that if we are not careful in the Lord's church that we are so blessed that we have gotten numb to the reality of lost souls, that we have become comfortable with the status quo. The status quo is... Everything's cool. Everything is the way it is. The world's going to, you know, where in a handbasket. There's nothing I can do about it. And uh, I'm, just... but folks, that's not what. That's not scripture. That's not in the New Testament. Andrew went and brought Peter. Said you need to see. You you need to see this. You need to see what there is to see. Peter or, or um, Philip said to Nathaniel, "Look, you may not believe me. Come, but just come and see for yourself." Come and see for yourself. Now, you understand, following even the, the, the ratios in Scripture, is that every time you say, come and see, most of the time, they're not going to come. When you say, I have found, let me show you, you're going to get some strange looks. But there is going to be a time when someone looks at you and says, please show me. But if I know that I've got to try ten times to, to get one, and I don't try, then that's never going to happen. Uh, that, that's something that, that strikes at us a little at our hearts. Look at Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, 18 and 19. Now this is an interesting one. Mark chapter 5, 18 and 19. When we pick up there and read in verse 19, or verse 18, somebody read that. I do not know. But I do know that it is in Scripture for a reason. And there is a lesson for us. And the lesson is, what was it this man was told to do? Uh, this is the man who'd been, uh, um, Jesus had removed an evil spirit from him. And he wanted to co go with Jesus and keep learning. But what was Jesus' response? No, I want you to do something else. See, if you read that as though Jesus was turning him away for some reason, he wasn't. He was turning him aside into a different direction. He said, this is what I want you to do. Go home. Now, okay, do you uh, nod your head either this way for yes or this way for no. 
do you believe that God has a plan? And do you believe that everything that God says or does, he has a reason behind it? Absolutely. Now, you can say, well, that's just your opinion here. And that's okay. I'm cool with that. But in this case, I want you to think about something. In my humble opinion, as I study this, the reason why Jesus said, no, I want you to go home to your friends and family and tell them what great things Jesus has done for you. He did that or what great things God has done for you. The reason why he said that is because in my heart, I believe Jesus knew there was somebody in that group of friends and family that needed to hear that, that was ready to hear that. Friends and family. Go tell your friends. Go tell your family. Uh, now, I can say, in fact, what's interesting, Terry Smith, uh, he, today he said the same thing he's been saying to me over and over, uh, is that uh, he's meeting with our missions team uh, in August, and he's talking about some work in Uganda, and uh, he's said those words he said to me a dozen times. He said, Ajin, you've, got, Ajin, you've got to get over that fear of flying and go over there with me. Okay. Uh, that's something I, that's a hurdle for me. Okay. Um, maybe that's what I need to do. But you see, I can't make the excuse that well, I'm afraid of flying, so I can't really do evangelism. Go to your friends. Go to your family. Now, go to Acts 10. I want to show you one more before we change gears here as we come down to uh, close of our time. But in Acts 10, we won't read all four, uh, 48 verses there, but that, of course, is the account in Acts 10. You know, I know some of you are saying, well, he's not, not looking at me. I'm not about to read that passage. Uh, but I want us to start... There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, verse 1, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man who, who feared God. Now, what I want you know the rest of the account. Let's fast forward. Peter was shown a vision. Peter was taught something, and Peter was sent there to teach Cornelius. Now, I want you to go all the way down. I should have marked it. Look at verse 27. Actually, back up to verse 24. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them. Now, notice, he was a man who wanted to hear the truth, but watch what else he did. And had called together his relatives and close friends. And he asked, verse 27, And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. That's Peter. Look down at verse 33. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. That's Cornelius saying, all these folks that I've gathered. Okay, if life continues, and the people in Cornelius' day were human beings, just like you and I are, do you think it is a logical assumption to say that not everybody Cornelius invited came? You think everybody came? Probably not. Did that stop Cornelius from asking them to come? No. He said, come and let's listen. Let's hear what God's word has to say. Let's hear it together. And we are so beaten down by the world that they won't come. That has absolutely nothing to do with my responsibility to ask them to come. Those are some examples from the New Testament. Okay, now, according to my time, we have six minutes. Now, before, this is homework. I want you to cogitate on this. Think about this. Truly think about this. And as we, we're going to bring it to its conclusion next week, Lord willing. Now, what are some ways that you, yes, you, look in the mirror, look at yourself, can personally share the gospel message to others? 
ways that you can be part of that process. I don't want you to answer that out loud yet. I do want to share with you four categories that I've come up with. And I want you to begin to think about how you fall into one or more of those categories. And the question then is, okay, all that's great. So, but does it not cover my, does it not take care of my responsibility when I put money in the contribution and they send a missionary overseas? Well, yes. It takes care of your responsibility to give as you have prospered that the work can go on. No, no, that's not what I asked. I said, does that not take care of my, event, uh, my responsibility to go and teach the gospel? No. You're told to give of your means so that God's work can continue. You're still supposed to be doing your part of God's work. They're two different things. But let's, look, this class is not meant to say, oh, y'all not doing what y'all supposed to. Forget that. And for those of you who just said, isn't he an English teacher? I did that on purpose. Okay. How does this work practically? Let's think about it practically. Because there are things that perhaps you've never thought of. I can be involved, number one, here's four categories. I can be involved in actively teaching someone the truth. Now, I can be involved in actively teaching. I can do that. I'm comfortable with that. There are some of you in here who are comfortable with that. Great, then you should do that. If you're not comfortable with that, you should go with the person who is. And be the second. You should never go by yourself. I can actively be involved. There are some, I can do that. And if you can, great. But what if you can't? I'm in trouble. No, you're not. Absolutely not. In fact, I'll just be honest with you. I'll tell you... Uh, something about me I, I I've got um, a comprehensive exam coming up for this studies that I'm doing and I'm excited about it because I get five essay questions and I have to answer three of them in essay form to five, four and six hundred words I think that, see, some, some of you look at me like what yeah, but I'm excited about that because I know that's weird. And my, uh, my uh, advisor said, not weird for an English teacher. Okay? This is also the guy who took three days. You can ask my son. Three days to change a blade on a lawnmower. Three days. I can't do stuff like that. Drives me nuts because I'm no good at it. Uh, things like that turn into an ordeal. You know, Josh has said, Daddy, why do you hire somebody to do that? So I don't have to hire somebody to come fix it. Uh, I can't do it, so I don't. You know, don't ask me. Anybody remember uh, Brother... Oh, wow. From Snowdown... Uh, no, not Jim, one of the elders. Homer Ivy. Uh, Homer Ivy came and did some work for me. Anybody know Homer Ivy? Great elder, great carpenter. Uh, and, and those of you who know him will know Homer said this. Homer is doing some carpentry work for me. And I said, Homer, I'm, Jeremy, I'm really wanting to impress one of my elders. I said, Homer, what can I do? He said, preacher, just stand there and watch. I said, okay. Uh, because he knew what would happen if I actually put my hands on anything and he wasn't about to let me do that. Uh, but, so, number one doesn't work for me and with me. But number two, I want you to think about what number two actually means. I can be involved in connecting someone to another who will teach him or her the truth. It will have to stop with that, and I want you to think about it. And I want to leave you with this question. Are you willing to make a list of friends, family, and co-workers and actually give that list to one of us who are not afraid to go say, hey, let's study the Bible? That's something to think about. I can be a connector, but I have to stop there. We'll pick this up next week. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Let's end with a prayer. 
Thank you, Father, for allowing us to study your truth. Thank you for allowing us to have salvation through the gospel and share it with other people. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great night.